0: To the Robert Hunt Financial Market Update. It's your host, Robert Hunt, where I take the week's financial news that can be confusing, misleading, and take you off course. I make it actionable, understandable, and clear. We've got some fun changes in store for you for today's show, a couple little tweaks that I hope you enjoy. For this week, we're going to look at a Wall Street Journal article by Jason Zwig, one of my favorite authors. Uh, in his column the intelligent investor headline three ways you can cash in on cash i want to talk about what i'm seeing my clients consider and what jason's recommending and then we have a bloomberg article by chanyapur chanyarin and it is a headline credit Suisse trust failed basic duty says billionaire client we're going to learn a lot through that and the pitfalls that i see And then we have a new section I want to rule out. Yes, we eventually wore out our guest questionnaires, but I get questions all the time, all week, from clients and others. And so for this week, I'm going to pull what I felt was the best question I received all week, one that I felt was most appropriate and that we could all learn from. And that question is, should we just go to short-term treasuries, liquidate our holdings, and ride out the storm? So I will address that question and what I believe is the question behind the question. So let's start off on the top here. Wall Street Journal, Jason's Wig. This actually came out, I believe, on Friday of last week. Three ways you can cash in on cash. Subheadline, headline keeping a portion for portfolio safe and liquid no longer means settling for nothing as long as you're ready to move your money out of your bank account. This is something that I'm seeing a lot of and I'm advocating for for clients to at least be mindful of what I'll call the opportunity cost of simply having your cash in a brick-and-mortar bank account. Let me explain. So, the last three, four, five years, if you were at a typical brick-and-mortar bank, that's maybe a Wells Fargo, Bank of America, Citibank, even some of your local community banks that are just brick-and-mortar, you received virtually nothing for your deposits, the interest rates on your deposits. That is changing. However, it's not changing for the brick and mortar accounts. It's changing for other types of accounts. So, what for those investors who are a little flat-footed here, not a whole lot in your situation has improved with your yields at the brick and mortar bank. However, if you're willing to make a couple moves, and that's what this article is highlighting by Jason, is if you're willing to either connect that brick-and-mortar account to an online bank or a brokerage account, or you even have more options, you can pick up, potentially, depending on what sort of deposit base you have, thousands and thousands of dollars, without a whole lot of work. So I want to talk about uh, what Jason is referencing, but also what I'm seeing. So... Order of operations here, what I believe to be the simplest move, simplest thing you can do is just connect. If you're at a brick-and-mortar bank and you're getting low rates, connect your account with an online bank. Now, online bank is a bank. Surprise, surprise. Primarily online. And because they're primarily online, they offer higher interest rates. So to give you an example, if Capital One 360 has a... um, savings account that yields 2.15% now, whereas uh, the brick-and-mortar accounts might yield nothing still, 0.10%. So that's a real large delta, real large difference and so that means if you had, say, $100,000 in deposits, that was, rough math here, two, two grand that you just kinda picked up off the ground for moving the money and it's pretty easy. So you open that account at the online bank, you link and you can kind of move money back and forth use that brick-and-mortar account still as your primary account for your credit cards and what have you I call that step one step two if you wanted to get more complicated would actually be to link a brokerage account or if you already have a brokerage account simply utilize the money market fund and you'll get a higher yield so for example if we said hey the you know, Wells Fargo is 0.10% brick-and-mortar and then the online banks are 2.15% well, Vanguard's money market fund is about 2.7 percent. So you see, we're kind of moving up the yield curve here, and it's 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 wow. This is we're, we're without a ton of risk, and, and there's not a lot of risk here, right? You're, you're, there's a little bit of effort, a little bit of hassle, but now you can just move the money in the money market account and move it back into your brick and mortar account as you need it. Take advantage of these higher rates. Well. You could do even more. If you wanted to get even more complex with your investing, there are exchange-traded funds, believe it or else, that hold short-term treasuries, short-term notes, and they yield even more. Now, this is where, a big disclaimer, this is for educational purposes only. Please speak with your financial advisor prior to any changes. But, because we're talking education here, couple ones that i think could be fun for those of you want to look at them uh there's one recently that i wasn't aware existed but um it's ticker symbol bil it's bloomberg's it's a spider one to three month note fund and it's got even higher yields than that um than that money market fund, now you're going to deal with a, l- a touch of duration risk, that risk that occurs when interest rates move up or down and the value of your holdings move up or down with it. That duration risk doesn't exist with the bank. It doesn't exist with the money market funds. Ah, when you have the longer maturities, like one to three months, which are super short, so it's not a big deal. But all of a sudden, you're getting close to 3% yield on that. And then you can go a little further out if you want. And You can have, look at something called VGSH, which is Vanguard Short-Term Treasury Index ETF. And there you're going to get, a little bit more yield, albeit with increased duration risk, because now we're entering into the one to three-year time frame. And so you would want to be mindful of what sort of volatility you would be willing to receive in exchange for a higher yield. And then ultimately you could buy a, you can look at an instrument like the two-year treasury note which has been around four percent so and that's about as far as i'd want to go with any short-term cash and that's about well four point one, four point one five percent. so as an investor this is a question you really didn't have to answer uh, the past couple of years it was just kind of eh, whatever but jason is highlighting this and i've seen changes need to be made the banks aren't going to do this for you uh they're not you're going to have to push them to help you with it. So do it. Do a cash audit. Make sure the return ROH, as I call it, return on hassle, is worth it. If it's not, don't worry about it. Just keep the money in the bank. But it may be worth it. All right, Bloomberg article. Credit Suisse Trust failed basic duty, says billionaire client. Tycoon claiming 800000000 million. I'm going to say that again. He claimed $800 million in losses after Bermuda victory. Case hinges on local units' liability for fraudsters' actions. Oh, reading this article, you know, something has to go wrong when you lose that much. Uh, Credit Suisse Group Singapore Trust failed in its basic duty. His lawyer says they don't get into the what investments. um, It does not say he bought a bunch of whole life insurance policies. That's good. Doesn't say exactly what he invested in. I can only imagine it was not simple. It was not low cost. It was not long term. I have a feeling they violated some of the immutable principles of personal investing and went with the complex and expensive but what I with this whole case the thing that just came to the fore that we all can we all can be tempted to do in any arena so before we point the finger at this gentleman who was I believe the prime minister of the country of Georgia and uh, a very wealthy man he said this uh, Ivanishvili the gentleman who was defrauded allegedly was once his country's prime minister? There you go. He began to testify on Monday afternoon via VitaLink from Georgia. His quote uh, He told the court the only purpose in going to Credit Suisse was that he wanted his assets protected. Open quote I thought I came to the expert who can protect my capital and my family, he said. Credit Suisse Life Bermuda, which handled some of Evan Ishaville's investments, unsuccessfully made the same argument that it wasn't aware of this. There's a banker who engaged in fraudulent activities. On this account, um, but I want. Let's go back. What's what happened here? What is this? What what was the mistake that this Ivanishvili made? Ah, he abdicated. He outsourced. He went. He gravitated to a brand rather than understanding what was occurring. So he thought. His quote says, "I thought I came to the expert." Now, when he says he thought he came to the expert, by what means did he measure the expertise? I can tell you he probably didn't have any sort of idea how to measure expertise. Most people don't. It, is, it does not matter whether you're a billionaire or worth nothing. This is not training that is received anywhere. Unless you just are an um, interested person in this sort of thing, investing, you are not going to get training. And the vast majority of the industry will not help you. So when he walked into Credit Suisse, I can only imagine what they told him uh what i suspect they did not tell him was keep it simple keep it low cost that's going to be your best you know best bet going forward it was probably we've got but some proprietary stuff it's really cool only you can get access to it buckle up don't worry about we're going to handle it all so if we're going to be rough tough on mr ivan Ishavili, we're going to say he he looked for a shortcut and a great thought leader in this space is a man named peter Thiel, who is a venture capitalist uh, and early investor in Facebook and SpaceX and so many others. uh, He has a theory on the financial advice space. Someone asked him at a forum, hey, how come there has not been as much disruption in the incumbency of these various financial advice providers? Their fees are egregious and they're getting fat and happy. And what Peter Thiel said is when the consumer is ignorant, when they don't know what to do, they gravitate towards a brand and they just pick it. I'll say that again, when the consumer is ignorant, they just look for a brand and they pick it. This happens the vast majority of the time in the financial advice space. It's relationally driven as well. But when someone goes with a national brand like Chris, Swiss, in large part, they are doing so because they do not know how to pick a financial advisor. They do not know how to pick who am I to go with. Well, this is just, you know, Everybody does this, I guess. They go to J.P. Morgan or Goldman Sachs or Credit Suisse. And Teal's comment is, it's just opaque enough and confusing enough that, hey, the consumer's not going to do it. And we can all do this in various product and categories. It's most damaging, perhaps, in the financial advice space. But, yeah, gosh, why, why do I buy the toothpaste I buy? I guess I just have kind of always bought it. Uh, so, Maybe not. the stakes are much lower with the product of toothpaste and the pricing is transparent so I can kind of know when I'm getting hosed or not. In the financial advice space, we don't know a whole lot as a consumer. And so we've got to do our own research and oftentimes that involves hard work and feeling stupid. We don't want to feel stupid and ignorant and asking questions and then having people in, in ties who are degreed kind of chuckling and saying, oh, that's not a relevant question. So. You've got to read the books. You've got to listen to the podcast. Good job for those listening. You're doing your job. You cannot, well, let's, let's learn from this failing as Coach Nick Saban would teach us. Learn from a failing. It is not enough to go hat in hands to a brand or a person. We must take the narrow road of financial education and be willing to pay the price so that we at least know how to discern whether a financial advisor is, knows what they're talking about because if they don't, it's going to be really expensive no matter what the fee is. All right. And then finally, we are creating a a kind of a corner of questions where this is my favorite client question of the week I felt was the most astute and in many ways exemplified what clients were feeling for the week. And I I suspect this this will bless the listener as well. So the question I got this week that I thought was an intelligent one and worthy of sharing with you was this. Should I just go to treasuries because the yields are getting so high, liquidate all of my stock and bond holdings, and then come back to the market once interest rates are lowered again. I'll say that again. If I've got a brokerage account filled with stocks and bonds and I've lost, as most have, 15, 20, 25% in the last year, should I just go to cash, go to these high-yielding treasuries, a two-year instrument's about 4%, I can earn 4% guaranteed over the next two years, and then when those, mature, those, those bonds roll up, boom, I can make a decision on the market or not. That's the question. What do you think, listener? I want you to actually try to answer the question yourself before I answer it. Think about it. Pretend you're a financial advisor and someone presents the question to you. What do you say? Well, what I'd say is it's not an unreasonable question. And depending on the client, I think... And there's, and there's there's circumstances which are going to be unique, There there is always a possibility that something like that could be permissible. Generally, I would say no. And why is that? What immutable law of personal finance is potentially violated when someone goes down this road? Ah, the law of market timing. Well, the question did not say the word market timing. The implication of the question is that it would require market timing. And why is that? Now, one thing I'd I mentioned this person that I said, that I said, if interest rates get high enough, we're all going to go to treasuries, right? If, if the two-year treasury is at 15%, uh, yeah, we're, let's talk, right? We, at, at that point, we don't need to necessarily talk about market timing. The yields are so high that we're going to have to make some decisions. But in this instance, think about what you'd have to do practically. Let's say you liquidate your accounts. There could be a, a, a tax event. Let's assume there's not though. Let's assume there's no tax event and you're just doing this in an individual retirement account. So you you liquidate, you go to your short-term treasury fund, one of the ones I mentioned, or a two-year treasury note, you just purchase it directly and you wait. What risk are you taking? Well, you're not taking credit risk. You're taking a little duration risk. You're out of the stock market. You've limited that risk. Ah, here comes the, it's timing risk. You have no idea. You're you're essentially going to cash for two years. You're then waking up and hoping that your re-entry point is preferable to your current investing so that is market timing that is very difficult and that would be a very difficult to strategy to stick with anyway so my my advice was a no let's stick with it uh, we've been in a peculiar season where both bonds and stocks have gone down simultaneously which and this is a I, I saw this stat and I it was very interesting okay number of years in which both the S&P 500 and the 10-year Treasury bond were down, there are only five, going back to 1928, the data. Only five years in which the S&P 500 and the 10-year Treasury bond were down. 1931, 1941, 1969, 2018, and 2022. So, um, and then to even more, number of years in which both the S&P 500 and the 10-year Treasury bond were down more than 10%, there's only one year, 2022. That's going all the way back to 1928, folks. So if you feel a little bit shocked by this, it's because it hadn't happened in about 100 years. And it's understandable. But back to our, our intelligent question that was received. Let us not do the market timing. Stay the course. I believe there are cash management strategies we can engage in where, hey, this money's in cash anyway. It's an emergency fund. You're maybe saving up for a house or a car. Great let's 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 reach for yield where appropriate and where there's no credit risk and limited duration risk so be it but the idea that we're going to ride out a storm this is a this is not a good road to go down uh, it could end up ending very poorly for you for example um, just this week just this week the start market had maybe its two best days that it had in 3 months time or something it went up 6% in 2 days this week i did not see that coming no one else did either so be willing just to stick with your plan. Don't, don't worry about hopping in and out of the market. Um, if, if treasury notes get super, super, super high, yeah, let's talk. I don't expect it, but anything could happen. And as always, keep those costs low, keep that investing time horizon long, and keep your investing simple. That is what's going to give you the best shot at success on your investing journey. Thanks for listening. Look forward to having you next time.